Happy New Year 2020 to all the citizens of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia and for visitors. We're excited to be entering the year of the happening with you. And to kick it off, we've got a packed show with two great interviews to set the tone. Now, you may recall the crazy ICO season of 2017. Since that time, token sales have grown up a bit. They're kind of like teenagers now. Well, we'll bring you a discussion with Andy Bromberg of CoinList, a platform that works only with deeply vetted blockchain projects. Then you'll hear from Christina Lamazzo, UNICEF's blockchain lead. Christina oversees blockchain and cryptocurrency initiatives. Her team builds internal prototypes and supports projects such as the UNICEF Crypto Fund. They work to do good stuff. So don't drop it like it's hot, but maybe pass it to a friend like it's a warm, yummy bagel. All the content-rich crypto goodness laced with silliness and bad dad jokes is right here for episode number 352 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Happy New Year, Mr. Travis Wright. Happy New Year. Uh-oh. You still hung over, dude? Dude, I drank too much eggnog. <laughs> you dropped it like it was eggy. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great, brother. We are drunk with enthusiasm for the blockchain and crypto world, all the cool people in it, and excited about all the great content that we're going to have the opportunity to bring to you this year. And we're starting the year off with our show sponsor, Mr. Travis Wright. Tell them about eToro Toro Toro. I thought you said Travis Wright is our new sponsor. And I'm like, what? What? No, no, I'm not. We gave you a really good deal. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. eToro, if you want to excel in the crypto markets, well, you need to have a great trading app, especially when you know that crypto goes up and crypto goes down. You want to know when it's going to go up or go down. So you got to watch the the top traders in the world and see what they're doing. That's why you need to use eToro. Check it out. They have a very unique app and you can access the world's best cryptos as well as the best trading tools. And you can copy the trades of the best traders out there. It's pretty handy. And they also have some features where you can have 100000 in virtual trading uh, dollars to play around with, which is nice. And if you go through this link, uh, badco.in forward slash eToro, and click the U.S. area, and then uh, go through that whole process, sign up, deposit 50 bucks, buy some cryptos, and then send us over an email at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com. We'll send you $25 in Bitcoin. Boom. Uh. Hmm. Uh, so do it now, badco.in forward slash eToro. Excellent. We got two back-to-back interviews for you right here for your consumption pleasure. Let's jump right in with this interview of Andy Bromberg from CoinList. Once upon a time in a crypto galaxy not too far away, really just a couple of years ago, the ICO craze was running rampant. And every week there was just so many new companies that were raising money for their projects, some of them good projects, some of them scams and everything in between. And the market is maturing and there are fewer token raises going on right now. But the ones that are doing it and doing it right are raising some good money still. And uh, we've got with us today Mr. Andy Bromberg. He's the co-founder and president of CoinList.co. They're a platform that connects accredited investors with deeply vetted blockchain companies. They help them run their ICOs, provide compliance, airdrop services, and so forward. Because token sales are not dead. They're alive and well and Andy and CoinList are helping make that a reality. So, Andy, welcome to Bad Cryptopia. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being had. Yeah, yeah let's do What's it. Good for you. <laughs> we'll see. Just getting going now. Yeah, it's, I'm just. We're just predicting. It's going to be awesome. Actually, one of the companies that you guys helped raise uh, for was on the show. I want to say about three months ago, Algorand. Um, they're a scalable, secure, decentralized currency and transaction platform. And you guys helped raise a boatload for them, didn't you? Yeah, they had a really successful sale. They, that was earlier this year. They ran an auction on the Coinless platform and raised uh, $60 million, six zero, um, which was a really good outcome. And I think really 
one of the first uh, big sales uh, in quite a while. Really, in, in probably 18 months, there hadn't been anything of that scale. And then they came up and made it happen. So we were really excited to work with them. And that was all because of you guys, huh? So is, you're going to take all the credit, right? 100%. Yeah. Um, it appears that that episode would have been back on episode number 292. If you guys want to check it out, it was August 7th, 2019. Badco.in forward slash 292. Oh, they were on the same episode with Broccoli Rob, Travis. Oh, nice. The, the guys that did yeah, the yeah. Bitcoin and Friends um, cartoon. Very good. So this this is an interesting thing. So you guys have been around now since 2017 and saw a lot of uh, the whole ICO craze. What are some of the key things that you've seen as this sort of funding mechanism has matured over the last three years? Yeah, it's really interesting. Things have changed a lot in the last couple of years. What we saw in 2017 was just this crazy rush of token sales. And in our view, the vast majority of them were bad. They were maybe scams, maybe frauds, maybe not that, but at least low quality. Um, and in the last couple of years, what we've seen is, is the bottom part of the market has really dropped out. So that slug of high quality projects that existed in 2017, there are still the same number of projects that are working on, on great things now, but the uh, the bottom, you know, call it 95% of the market has dropped out, which means that all those bad projects no longer exist. And the difference is really, you know, across the board, better teams, better technology, better ideas, and, uh, and we've just been seeing the space professionalize over the last couple of years, uh, evolving from that crazy ICO boom to a much more measured uh, time today where only the best projects are going out to raise uh, token sales and, and being successful there. Yeah. So you guys really, you know, do take the time here to to vet these projects. I'm wondering, you know, how often do they come to you and, and uh, what percentage do you end up turning away because you're like, mm, we don't think we can really work with you. Yeah, well, it's it's a lot. We uh, publicly we've only worked with under a dozen token sales in in the last couple of years, uh, and that's out of more than thirty five hundred inbound. So more than three thousand five hundred token sales have approached us about um, helping with their sale. And we've worked with fewer than a dozen, and that's not for any reason other than you know our, our vetting process. Um, we think that there are very few projects out there that that should be running token sales, and we want to work with all the best ones, but. It's a uh, it's a shockingly small percentage of the overall field. So next, I want to say congratulations. You guys raised ten million, for, uh, led by Polychain Capital with Jack Dorsey investing. What has that been like? You know, have you had the opportunity to to work with Jack, and and what are some of his thoughts are, uh, around you know the the future of Bitcoin? Yeah, well, we are we're really excited to raise that round, and that was largely around supporting the launch of our upcoming exchange, Coinless Trade, which we can. We can talk more about, but Polychain was an existing investor in us, um, and uh, and they decided to re up and lead the round. Um, we brought we brought Jack in, uh, and he's been a massive help as well. And uh, yeah, we're really fortunate to have a great community of investors around us. Um, all of them are obviously it goes without saying very bullish on the space, uh, think that it's going to grow massively, and and see their bet on Coinlist as a bet on that. That you know, as long as Coinlist continues to support the best projects in the space, as long as we uh, launch this exchange and build out that functionality. Um, we'll be in a really strong position, and as the space grows, uh, their their investment will as well. So, uh, really fortunate to have such great people on the team, and and uh, they were just trying to execute and make it happen. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know Jack. Neither does Travis. Yeah. Travis, you don't know Jack. That's true. If you could ask him to stop censoring people, that'd be cool. Yeah, you know we. Uh, we <laughs> uh, we're a hot topic these days. It is our effort. Right. Yeah. No joke, no joke. But I tell you what, so you said th- 3,500 companies have came to you and you've worked right. you've worked with how many? You said half a dozen? Yeah, fewer than a dozen, yeah. That is great. And then yeah, some of the companies like as as Joel mentioned, Algorand, Nervos, Ocean, Trust Token, Origin, uh, Dfinity, Props, Blockstack and Filecoin That's was right. fi- Filecoin is that what that was one of the first ones, right? That was one of the first ones. It was actually how we got our start. So, Coinlist was originally a collaboration between Filecoin uh, or Protocol Labs, who was building Filecoin, and AngelList, uh, and they they were collaborating to run the Filecoin token sale. And uh, and as they started working on this together, they realized that it was really hard building a platform to run a token sale was challenging, and they realized that every single token issuer would need to do it. And so they, they decided to spin it out. And so at that point, we spun out from AngelList at, at the end of 2017 uh, after the Filecoin token sale. 
to uh, to support all particular projects with that exact set of services that Filecoin needed for their sale. Well, this is not your first rodeo. You were the co-founder and CEO of Sidewire. And before that, you co-founded the Stanford Bitcoin Group. So is that like 2010, 2011? You were in really early. Yeah, it, it was uh, not quite that early. We, we started the Stanford Bitcoin Group uh, at the end of 2012. Um, and uh, yeah, that was an amazing experience. So I was, I was really lucky. I was in school and uh, had this professor named Balaji Srinivasan, who um, folks might recognize the name. He was most recently the, the CTO of Coinbase. Uh, and before that ran Earn.com and was a partner at Andreessen Horowitz. Um, but he was in 2012, he was our professor. And, uh, and he taught a class that was amazing called Startup Engineering. And after the class, he convinced uh, a group of us to pay more attention to Bitcoin and to start the Stanford Bitcoin Group. And so a, a small group of us ended up starting it under his, yeah, under his leadership to uh, to do some academic research on Bitcoin, to build some projects, to to do advocacy work. And uh, and so it was a really fun couple of years doing that in, yeah, not not the earliest, but the the fairly early days of, uh, of Bitcoin. That's beautiful. That's like that. That's like, like being in the right place at the right time, surrounded by the right people. That is great stuff because you know what? You become who you hang around. And especially when you uh, have a teacher that says, check out some check, check out some of that Bitcoin thing. It might be a smart idea for you. Wink, wink. That is exactly right. Yeah, we feel very, very fortunate to, uh, to have gotten that that tip early on. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you're seeing now, right? What does the the outlook look like for companies that are trying to raise, you know, moving into the, this next, moving in the next decade, which is just crazy to think about? I know the next decade. That's right. Yeah, it is. I mean, the first thing to know is that it is a very high bar. Investors have gotten scammed. They've lost money on, on well-intentioned projects. It's been a It's been a tough environment. And so the bar is very, very high for projects looking to raise money via a token sale. But if all the pieces are there, if it's a, a strong team and a big market, a good product, uh, the deal terms make sense, the token economics makes sense, if it all lines up, then the prospects are really good. You know, Nervos ran their token sale a couple months ago, raised over $70 million. Uh, Algorand, like we mentioned earlier this year, raised 60. Um, and those are, you know, at some level, unusually high numbers. Um, but on another level, uh, the teams that that raise those are absolutely deserving of of those those capital raises, uh, and so it's uh, the prospects are good if mm-hmm. uh, if you check all the boxes. Now, did any of them have to give up equity in their companies at all, or is these all still token deals? Uh, well, for for those uh, specific rounds, they were just token deals. Those companies may have raised earlier previously and and sold equity, but um, for those seventy and sixty million dollar sales, respectively, those were both purely uh, purely token. Impressive. Nice. Yeah. Andy, you uh, get interviewed pretty frequently on uh, TV outlets, Bloomberg, CNBC, Fox Business to talk about crypto economics. And, you know, the news, they try to help dumb this down, right? Because they've got to assume that the public they're talking to really doesn't know exactly what this is all about. Uh, when do you think we're going to get to that point where we're past the basic education? Right. You don't need to go on a financial show and explain what NASDAQ is. You don't need to explain how the Dow works. Where, when do we get to this place with crypto and Bitcoin? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. You know, one thought I have on this is that um, people are often looking in the wrong direction for how we're going to get there. What everyone or what a lot of people seem to assume is that the right way to get to that point is by educating people sufficiently, allowing the public to learn enough so that they don't need to be educated anymore. But I actually disagree. I think for, well, that's incredibly valuable and, and those resources should always be available. Um, I think what, what gets you there is actually making it so that the public doesn't have to worry about it. The reason that you don't have to go on shows and explain in depth about you know weird pieces of the equity markets is because people can just go into their brokerage account and buy and sell stocks. And, uh, and they don't need to know what's happening behind the scenes. Now, if they're curious, and I think they should be, they can find out. But the level of abstraction has gotten high enough that the average person in the public can go and interact with that market without knowing all the details. And that is not the case for crypto today. Today, to be a participant in the crypto ecosystem, you really need to be reasonably deep in it. And you need to be able to use the tools and be able to use a wallet and understand some of the nuances of these relatively user-unfriendly applications. 
And so I think what will get us to that point when we can stop doing that baseline education is when the levels of abstraction get high enough, when it becomes easy for retail users to, to really engage without knowing all of the details. And that's a, a product and a user experience problem more than it is an education problem. And again, the, the education resources should always be there and we should continue to do that. And something obviously you guys are doing through, through the podcast, but, um, but I think what's more important uh, for, for the greater public is uh, tools being built that, that let them focus on their goals rather than on the, the implementations thereof. Now, Andy, I got to ask you this because this is impressive. You guys have had, you know, you said less less than a dozen of these companies you've backed out of the thirty five hundred. Still, it just amazes me the numbers because you because it looks like the ones that you've hit on have been right on. So, my question to you would be: What are those key indicators that you're looking to that is an absolute must before you guys are, start working with one of these companies? Yeah, it's uh, so I alluded to this earlier, but. Um... Here, you know, some of the categories we look at, uh, there's six big factors. The first four are factors that I think any investor should look at for any deal that they're considering startup or token or whatever it is. And those are the team, the market, the product, and the deal terms. So team, is it a strong team that will be able to accomplish the goals? Uh, market, are they attacking a big market that's going to be meaningful and, and they can make a dent in? Uh, product, are they building a strong product that users actually want and will want to engage with and deal terms to the terms of the deal make sense for, for what you're getting. So those are four factors that we look at when we've got projects, we recommend that every investor looks at when they uh, diligence a project. Um, and those are common from tokens to equity to, to anything else. But there's two last pieces that we look at in our vetting process that are not necessary to look at when you're looking at a normal kind of equity startup investment, but we think are critical to vet, um, when you're when we're looking at these these deals, one is the legal structure, which is you know it sounds boring, but realistically, when you invest in a startup, there's no innovation on the legal structure. Everyone uses the same terms, the same documents, the same structures, uh, and so you don't really need to diligence that. At least it's not. But in the token world, everyone is innovating on legal structures and regulatory frameworks and compliance procedures, and so it's something that we vet closely and we recommend that all investors do their diligence on is is the legal structures behind these projects. And then the last piece that we we vet is the token economics. And uh, and this is just uh, it's a absolutely new field. It's really hard to understand. There's lots of research and innovation happening um, and lots of uncertainty. But uh but you have to do your best evaluating the token economics and there's a few components to that. One is and this is a, this is a, a tricky one to understand sometimes, but I think is is critical when evaluating a token project. If the network and the product are successful, will the token accrue value? So I think there's a lot of products out there where the decentralized product makes a lot of sense; it seems compelling, but it's just not obvious how the token will go up in value, even if the network is successful. And uh, and that's something you really need to understand is you know. If this network is successful, which you have to be betting on, will the token rise in value? Will there be a reason for it to accrue value? And that's uh, so that's a critical component that that investors should really be diligencing. There's other subcomponents of of the idea of token economics, um, like understanding what the attack vectors on the network are, how the how the game theory plays out, how the good actors are incentivized to behave. Um, but at the end of the day, and we can dive deeper into that. But at the end of the day, we we take a step back and we look at, like I said, team, product, market, deal terms, uh, legal structure, and the token economics, and that's that's how we vet these projects. And you can, you know, as we were talking about, uh, very few come out the other end from from that sort of vetting process. And I think it's just a function of of where the quality is in in the space. The ICO season was certainly crazy, and some projects came out on top. Some deservedly crashed and burned. Some just got caught up in the wreckage of the ones that did crash and burn, you know, might have deserved to exist. Is there going to be, you know, once this everything is more regulated and we're moving towards security tokens, is there going to be another wave where, you know, all these companies jump on creating tokens to do raises? Or is that do you think that, you know, we've seen it? been there done that and now there'll be much fewer and, and there won't be this big run again and i'm not talking about prices i'm just talking about those seeking to do the raises in that manner right 
The first thing I'd say there is just that I think the market is cyclical. So we will see a rise again. We'll see a fall again. We will we'll see it just kind of continue to move up and down in terms of where the rays are coming from, what's happening. What I do think will change is that the, the profiles will change. And I don't think we're going to see the same categories of kind of scammy, rent-seeking ICOs that we saw in 2017. I think investors have gotten savvy to those types of, uh, of offerings. So when the next boom happens, it will be among a different sort of project. And I can't predict exactly what that'll look like, but uh, I think it will, we'll see another cycle up, but it will look different than the 2017 one. Uh, you know, this is a, it's such a fun space. And I love what we were talking about previously about, you know, tokenomics and figuring out the structure of your tokenomics. Now, like, say somebody's out there and they have a project, because there's a couple of things that I've been working on that I just haven't quite got the, ter- the tokenomics figured out. So what do you tell somebody or what are some of the you know, words of wisdom? Like, how can people f- figure out that tokenomics or what are maybe some resources out there that people could go to check out to say, ah, this is some of the game theory and and tokenomics I need to be thinking about where maybe they haven't thought about yet. Yeah. I mean, here's the, here's the challenge. It is, we're so early in the industry. So best practices and standards have not really been set yet on the tokenomics side. And it's so specific project to project. That's the most challenging part of it, that these networks are so different. Mm. They have such different behavior and incentive mechanisms in them. Um, and so it's just really challenging to to generalize across projects. So we actually, um, and I, I don't mean to, to weasel away from the question here, but we actually kind of hesitate to talk about what works and what doesn't for token economics in general terms, because it so depends on all the individual nuances of the project. And uh, and so it makes more sense to discuss it in kind of a, a project-specific uh, category. That's good. Well, Andy, we appreciate you coming on today. Coinlist.co is where you can check out all the cool things that Coinlist is involved in and links in our show notes to Andy's Twitter if you want to connect with him personally. And uh, Andy, I guess that, you know, my last question for you is uh, what's your desert island CD? You know, you got you just got you're going to be out on the island for a year. You're trapped, you're shipwrecked. It's just you and uh, Wilson, the the volleyball. What are you going to listen to? Man, this is uh, easily the hardest question you've asked me today, and uh, and kind of an impossible one. I uh, for an entire year, I would probably end up with uh, with Stadium Arcadium from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's hard to land on a on a true answer to that. But yeah, thank you for for having me on. This was really fun, and uh, I hope it was uh, it was helpful for the audience. Back to back to back podcast episodes in your ear holes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is going on right now? I have no idea. I don't even Those, know what that is. Coinlist.co. That's pretty fancy. Yep, very fancy. They've done some cool projects. And, you know, I, I think it's good to see that the token space is growing up. And it would be nice if we really got more guidance on regulation and the U.S. government would become friendlier towards token raises. But regardless, they're going on around the world. Yep. It's going on. And I, I'm just very impressed with their track record. Like, they've only picked winners. And we ask him, I'm like, are you tired of winning? And he said, not tired of winning yet. So, I don't know. Now, some things are happening around the world, but some things, Travis, are just happening in San Francisco. And one of those things is the ability to buy virtual property on Upland in the San Francisco Bay Area. Upland is a location-based property trading game paired with a decentralized economy. Basically, think of Monopoly in the virtual world where you buy, sell, trade, and develop virtual properties based on real-world addresses. In fact, Travis, they recently did an update here, and their interface has grown up a little bit, become more mature. They've got now this little block explorer that lets you walk around the city to real properties and look at buying those properties with the UPX token. Uh, you know, these guys have got funding and there is some cool stuff happening here. We're pleased to have them as a sponsor for the show. And we're going to recommend that you go to upland.me. It's U-P-L-A-N-D dot me and check it out. It's good fun. Mm, yeah, I'm actually here right now. I have, what, about 18 properties, and I got to collect 203 Upland right now. Cha-ching! Collect them all. UPX in your wallet, fool. Mm-hmm. A couple more days, I'll be able to probably buy a new, a new property. That'll be fun. 
Nice. I'll come uh, drop by and, and check it out. And we're going to have those guys on the show here in the not too distant future. And we'll be able to learn a lot more about the project. And speaking of projects, UNICEF is at work on some cool stuff. And we're pleased to have with us Christina Lamazzo from UNICEF. So let's do that. Human beings have just such a way of messing things up. And at the same time, we have a way of trying to clean up those messes. Bad people can mess things up. Good people try to clean them up. And one of the organizations that's tried to clean things up by saving children's lives around the world, defending their rights and helping them fulfill their potential is UNICEF. Of course, you've heard of them. UNICEF.org is their official website. And did you know that UNICEF has a blockchain initiative? Well, now you do. And we've got with us UNICEF's blockchain lead. Her name is Christina Lamazzo. She's overseeing the blockchain and crypto initiatives with UNICEF and working on all kinds of cool projects that we're going to discuss right now. Christina, welcome to the Republic of Bad Cryptopia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We, we do not have any children in need in bad cryptopia right now. So we're going to let you continue to, you know, place your focus on areas of real need. Thank you. <laughs> uh, how long have you been working with UNICEF? I've been at UNICEF just over a year now, um, leading the blockchain team here and working with our wider team, uh, UNICEF innovation team. You, previously, you worked at Deloitte and you uh, supported different levels of government in Canada that were exploring blockchain initiatives. You wrote your master's thesis on how global banks have responded to blockchain and you taught at NYU and MIT on the topic. So, you know, like you're smart, you know, we're still learning a lot of this stuff and you know way more than us. So teach us, oh, great one. I mean, I'm also still learning, just like all of us in the blockchain space. But uh, yeah, I've been a nerd for a little while and uh, really happy to be able to apply those skills at UNICEF um, across a variety of different initiatives. That is that is exciting. And so and for those who don't, you know, you've heard of UNICEF, but you maybe don't know what UNICEF stands for. UNICEF originally was the United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund. I remember the first time I was familiar with UNICEF as uh, in grade school. I think they brought little boxes and they and we would take little boxes and we could go around our neighborhood and get you know donations for UNICEF uh, back in the day. That was my very first uh, recall of of this program well, years ago. And I guess it was founded in, back in 1946, so it's been around for quite some time. Um, so, how has blockchain impacted UNICEF's overall? you know, sort of drives and organization, uh, you know, for, for donations and whatnot. So how is blockchain impacting UNICEF today? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And what I can do is take a step back and talk a little bit about the UNICEF innovation team. And that will put into context um, the work that we're doing as the blockchain team. So UNICEF innovation is a team dedicated to looking at how uh, the world is changing and preparing the organization for the future. And so Uh, We have a data science team, we have a drones team, uh, and most recently we have a blockchain team. And so we support the organization in a variety of ways. One is we have a venture fund that makes early stage investments into startups in UNICEF program countries. Uh, We also have UNICEF works in over 190 countries around the world. And some of those offices might want to explore blockchain or cryptocurrency. And so our team will also support those offices as necessary. And then obviously with blockchain, there's a huge piece around knowledge sharing. And so not just supporting our colleagues at UNICEF, but also working with the other agencies within the United Nations uh, to both share what we've learned on our journey so far and to continue to push the boundaries in terms of what can be done with this technology and others. Did you say, you took a step back, I'm going to take another step back. Did you say a drone fund? So, yes, we have an innovation fund that makes early stage investments into startups. And so um, traditionally in the past, that's been a a U.S. dollar denominated fund where we make investments up to about $100,000 into companies working on open source technology. And one of the cohorts that we've made investments into is drones. Um, Our drone initiative is bigger than just the fund. So we actually have a, a drones lead as well. 
Um, UNICEF has several drone corridors around the world that serve different purposes. And so we have one that focuses on emergencies, another that focuses on um, uh, in disasters, another that focuses on vaccine delivery. So, for example, in Vanuatu, uh, just this past year, we had the first drone delivery uh, via, uh, excuse me, the first vaccine delivery via drone in Vanuatu, um, which was uh, really impressive to see. That's so cool. It is. I love that. And it's great. I invested in a drone, but I should have bought Ethereum instead because the price was really low. Then I bought a drone and then I don't even use it hardly at all. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not delivering vaccinations or anything cool. My drone just sits in its bag right there. Droning on Travis. (laughs) That is true. So, so we talked a little bit about, about the drone and the innovation team. So now with blockchain, you guys are using the innovation of, of blockchain. Are you guys using this primarily to track the, where the donations are going, the sort of transparency of, of blockchain, or how, how, how in-depth is blockchain being utilized with UNICEF today? So we're using blockchain in a variety of ways. So through our investment fund, we're actually learning about a whole bunch of different uh, blockchain applications. So we made our first fiat investments back in 2018, and those use cases span from vaccine supply chain tracking to impact funding to uh, educational certificates on blockchain. And so we work with those companies over their investment period, which is a year, and provide technical support to them. So our team learns a lot through that process. Then internally, uh, we're also supporting some of our country offices. So for example, in Kazakhstan right now, we're just wrapping up a project around vendor procurement and payment Um, on chain and how we can use blockchain to increase transparency and increase uh, efficiency potentially. And then lastly, we recently launched a crypto denominated fund. And so this is where we work with what we call national committees. So you talked about those Halloween boxes that you're familiar with. Those are typically our national committees who do that fundraising. Uh, We've launched this fund, which is crypto denominated. So now these national committees can fundraise in cryptocurrency and keep it in crypto, which is uh, different than a lot of other fundraising mechanisms. When it comes to crypto, it's usually converted into fiat and then you lose that traceability. So what we're testing here and we're you know, still in the learning phases of this, but we're learning about how UNICEF as an organization could use that transparency of the blockchain to actually track where donations are coming from and where they're going to and provide that transparency both to the organization, but also to our donors. You know, one of the cool things about being able to keep the donations in crypto is if you believe in the future of of cryptocurrency and the value of Bitcoin going up, that, you know, donation today could be worth 10 times that down the road. Whereas if you take your donation in dirty fiat, uh, you know, that dollar is going to buy less and less. So it actually becomes it's an investment opportunity really for UNICEF and other nonprofits to hodl their crypto, right? So we're actually seeing this not as necessarily advocating for a specific crypto, uh, but actually preparing the organization for a digitally financed future. So whether it be cryptocurrency, whether it be a central bank digital currency, or whether it just be some other digital form of money, we know that that's a reality in the future. And UNICEF being the large organization that it is, We actually need to prepare ourselves to update our our internal processes for how we deal with that. How do we deal with that from uh, an agreement perspective? How do we deal with that from a technology perspective? And so this crypto denominated fund, while we are using cryptocurrency, really helps us just fine tune that uh, muscle memory in terms of how to work and operate in a digitally financed future. So I guess my question would be next would be like, so those little Halloween boxes that you'd walk around with and get donations, is is there going to be like a QR code or something on the side of those boxes? So maybe they you could say, well, you can donate your crypto right here if you like. How does that, how is that going to work? So it's different from national committee to national committee. Um, so there are currently four national committees globally that accept cryptocurrency currently. And I think we'll see a few more come on board shortly. Um, but the ones that currently accept are UNICEF France. UNICEF Australia, UNICEF New Zealand, and most recently UNICEF USA. 
Um, and the process for accepting crypto is slightly different from country to country, um, but it's really up uh, at a country level that they make the decision of how they're going to accept that crypto and whether they'll include those QR codes on the side of the trick-or-treat boxes. So, Christina, maybe you can give us some examples of some cool projects that you're working on there right now. Absolutely. Uh, one that our entire innovation team is focused on right now is an initiative called Giga. And this is really to provide uh, information, opportunity, and choice to communities around the world by bringing internet connectivity and also digital public goods to communities. Um, and so, to provide connectivity to communities, first you need to know where there's internet connectivity and where there's not. Uh, and so we have a team working on that. We also have a team looking on how do you actually finance to bring connectivity to those different areas. And then finally, once you have connectivity, what do you actually do with it? Um, and that's really around digital public goods. But how blockchain plays into all of this is that our team has been exploring how crypto and also blockchain as a public ledger can be used as it relates to giga and bringing internet connectivity and digital public goods to communities. So we developed a prototype over the last year where crypto in theory could be used to finance a specific region to turn on connectivity. And that's really powerful to actually see the funds go into, for example, a smart contract that's then locked in and provide the transparency to an internet service provider to say, hey, look, we have the money to pay you for internet service over the next year for this region. And then once the internet connectivity gets turned on, let's say at particular schools, what we've been doing is we have probes or Chrome extensions or different ways to monitor the connectivity in specific schools. And on a daily basis, we're getting a reading from those schools, which, which then is put onto the Ethereum blockchain. And we can actually track day by day the internet connectivity of those schools, which, again, as a donor, is a really powerful thing to actually see that what you've put money towards is actually delivering a service. That's also interesting from an accountability standpoint, because then you can start to look at smart contracts, for example, and say, if service is not delivered X days out of the month, then, and you can stipulate what the, the next part of that is. Um, and so we've been prototyping with this. Uh, there's a map called Project Connect where you can actually go and you can see uh, schools in different countries that have been mapped by our team and also the internet connectivity speed. And we're building on that now by leveraging the transparent nature of blockchain. That's completely fascinating to me because it, it, in a lot of ways, you guys are leading the, 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 the change for making some of these charities more transparent, right? Like, and more accountable. Now, if you actually, you, know, you guys are doing this for UNICEF specifically, but I mean, just as a larger scale, what you guys are doing, if that framework was sort of modified and it could be utilized at other places, because I know a lot of people would donate more money, but they're just not, you know, certain that the money actually goes to the place where it's supposed to go, where, you know, you see some of these charities out there and like 90% of it goes to organizational expenses and not to the cause that they were originally set for. And in UNICEF, you guys are actually setting up systems in place to allow donors to look and go, look, here's where your money is. Here's where it went. Check it out. That's that's amazing. Great job. Thank you. Yeah, we're definitely testing and learning. We're still in that learning phase. Um, but that is the idea to increase the transparency in terms of where funds go and where they're used. Well, yeah, I mean, it's no surprise to people to discover there's a lot of administrative costs that you know go behind making these things happen but just because uh any nonprofit has not done a good job and i'm not referring to unicef in particular there's no reason that we can't improve and i think it's a great point you know travis if uh, they can set an example for others then um this will be valuable beyond uh, some of, you know, just what UNICEF is doing. And I know you guys are, um, you're, you're not alone in accepting uh, virtual coin donations. The American Red Cross is doing it. The UN World Food Program is doing it. Are you seeing something in any of these other programs that you want to model after? I think one of the areas where we're still learning and we're looking to the ecosystem to see what's going on is really to solve that last mile problem. So while the project that I mentioned around Giga, we're really fortunate because it's a completely digital process. Uh, the difficulty we have is 
where we're going to use crypto to purchase a physical good, how do we actually verifiably prove to the donor that that uh, purchase was made? And so we still need to figure out as an ecosystem how we can best uh, address that issue. And so we're collaborating with our counterparts to, to look at best practices around that. Do you feel like putting products on blockchain as, you know, we're starting to see happen both for, you know, physical goods of all kind, it, you know, collaborating with a project that's doing that could help solve that problem? It, it could potentially. Um, obviously, that varies use case by use case, um, but it, it's it's possible. Hmm. Now, hey, in, in December of last year, you guys said you were investing $100,000 in six different blockchain startups was that were you guys donating 100 grand to each different startup or 100 grand total and and what were some of those startups um that that were blockchain related like how how are those impacting the overall unicef business or are are they still being developed or what's going on with those with those blockchain startups and can you mention who they were so yes last year we made six investments into early stage startups that were focusing on various blockchain applications each startup received up to a hundred thousand U.S. dollars, and also received up to a year of mentorship with us. So we're just in the final stages now um, with those startups and follow finding follow-up funding for those startups. The six startups themselves are Utopixar, which is a Tunisian-based company who's looking at community currencies. We have Statwig, which is an Indian-based startup, which is looking at vaccine tracking. We have W3, which is an internet connectivity startup in Bangladesh. We have Etix Labs, which is impact funding based in Argentina. Prescripto, which is digital prescriptions based in Mexico. And OS City, which is a Mexico-based certificates platform. And so... All of those platforms have been developed uh, over the last year in conjunction with business mentors, open source mentors, as well as our blockchain expertise here at UNICEF. We've learned a lot from them. I'm sure they've learned a lot from their mentors as well. Uh, Their projects have really developed over the last year, and we're really excited to see uh, where those uh, projects go in the future. You know, what stands out to me there is I've not heard of any of those projects. And and what that you know, reveals is how much development is going on around the world in the blockchain and crypto space that we have no clue, right? It's just, you know, we hear about all the big news around Bitcoin and some of the larger projects and the ones with the big market caps, but there is so much development happening. And that's why blockchain is unstoppable. That's exciting to me. It is really exciting. And particularly for us, we work in UNICEF program countries and those are often countries who don't see the same VC funding that companies in New York or San Francisco will see. But those projects have so much potential. And so the projects that we've invested in, we're really excited about. And uh, in the future, we'll be launching future cohorts where companies can apply to for funding. And we look forward to seeing what comes next. Very, very interesting. I think that's you guys are doing some great stuff over there. So what's what's next for the UNICEF Cryptocurrency Fund? So it's been an exciting journey so far for the crypto fund, and we're looking forward to the future. We have made our initial investments, so three investments to date with cryptocurrency, one Bitcoin and 100 Ether. Uh, That was into three different startups. And shortly, we'll be opening a call for applications for startups to apply for crypto funding. Uh, We'll be working with different countries around the world that might be interested in accepting crypto donations at a UNICEF level. Um, And how that works is that uh, a country, for example, like UNICEF USA, might accept crypto donations. And then those crypto donations are passed along to UNICEF headquarters um, in cryptocurrency. We then go through that application process with those startups who are interested in getting funding and select a few to actually receive crypto in crypto. Uh, And so really the next uh, year or so is for us to learn more about digital currencies and the impact that digital currencies will have on UNICEF and the ecosystem more widely in how we um, deliver our mission. And so, yeah, that's uh, about it for the, the crypto fund. It's a learning journey and we're, we're learning. 
you call it a crypto fund. I call it crypto fun. <laughs> I love what's developing in this. Uh, Christina, thanks so much for sharing with us today. And we wish you the very best as you continue with these initiatives. Look forward to hearing about developments in the future. Thank you very much. It was great chatting. Well, there you go. Crypto being used for good purposes. Uh, UNICEF and their crypto fund making it happen. Seriously, I remember UNICEF way back in the day when I was in grade school and they used to give you these little cardboard boxes that you would fold and to go get donations for them. And here we are now, this is Joe Com doing a crypto podcast where we talked to, you know, we talked to UNICEF about taking crypto and doing their crypto. I mean, how cool is that? Using blockchain, like, man, man, adoption is happening more and more now than ever. It's just, it's just amazing. It's so inspiring. I just figured, you know, after all these years, it'd be two Cephs, you know, they'd be duo Ceph. There's still just one. Just yeah. One Seth. I'm sorry about that. You, yeah, wow. Quattro Seth. That that fell flat on its uh, on its ear. Maybe I shouldn't do comedy. You know yeah. what? You know, sometimes you're really funny, and other times you're just kind of funny. Every I'm and the other times you're funny looking. You know what else is funny is that we've had these guys on the show before. Our other sponsor for this episode, Raccoon World, and it's not spelled like the animal raccoon. It's spelled R A K U N, Raccoon World, and they've created a game where you basically you race these virtual piggies online in a 3D environment. It's a Japanese game studio that took some branded IP, and now this is Japan's first blockchain game it's it's called crypt oink and they've created an economy all their own they're pushing to expand globally you want to see how like arcade type play is working within blockchain go to raccoonworld.com and check it out see what you think of the little 3d piggies racing do it do it okay speaking of comedy travis i had a bucket list item for last year and for 2019, and I told a friend you were of running mine, out of days then, weren't you? I was. I told my friend Andrea Vall, who is a uh, uh, internet marketer, social media marketer. She's big in the Facebook ads space, but she's also a funny lady, and she does stand up comedy. Um, and I promised her. I said, you know what? I want to check this off my bucket list before 2019 is over. And then I talked to you about it because you've done stand up a bunch of times, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I've done it probably about 250 times, maybe more. It just depends. I mean, I, I, I'll do it sporadically. It's like uh, I did it a bunch in the 90s, and then I did it a bunch again in like 2000, mid-2000s, and I, then I didn't do it for a while. I did a bunch more in 2010, and then I've, I started doing it some more now. I actually did about, how long was it, about 12 minutes, 15, 12, uh, 10, 12 minutes the other day, not long ago. Actually, it was a Toys for Tots uh, concert or not really a concert. It was just a comedy show for toys for tots. And, uh, it was, they'd raised the most money and most toys for any of the, the shows that they've done. It was their 10th time doing it. So that was, really did you cool. keep, did you keep it clean for that one? Did I keep it? I well, know. there was no, there was no kids in the audience. They're all still okay. adults. There was no time. So no, I didn't keep it clean. No, I, I'm, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a uh, show for taters for tots. Cause I think it's important that kids have potatoes. That's true. Okay. <laughs> so I finally did it. Uh, and basically. Congratulations. How'd you like thanks. it? How, yeah. how was it? Did you have a comedy gasm? I, I broke my, broke, I broke my cherry. Mm. Uh, and, well, here's the deal. The only opportunity that was there was in this club that does like open mic night once a month. Mm. And so Andrea invited me and she and our friend Connor Doobie, who also is a, a young fella who's in marketing, who has been doing it as well. We went to this open mic night. Well, there was his like last name is, his last name is Doobie. Yep, D U B E. Does he have any brothers? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm sure. I'm sure he's never heard that one before. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah, and uh, there was only like 12 people in the room, including us. Two of them were innocent bystanders. All the rest were people that were going to hit the mic. So it was like mm -hmm. it was a big room, not exactly what you call a warm audience. But I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go do my five minutes. And because there were so few people there, or because my jokes weren't funny there really wasn't laughter. So I took the video and I added my own laugh track. 
because I, <laughs> it's just like that. I figured, that's so right. Good. That's, that's funny in and of itself. I figured that, look, there's a lot of crappy TV shows out there, you know, like th- that mm-hmm. awful big bang theory. That's the one I think of is that's just the most unfunny. I hope you took the big bang theories laugh track. I did not. I, I found my own on uh, audioblocks.com. And uh, you're using multiple different ones because they didn't all sound the same. Yeah, well, no, that was the goal is to, to vary <laughs> a little bit. And so I put it up on, on YouTube and uh, you guys can go see it and give me thumbs up and cri- don't tell me if you hated it, though. Uh, but it's a different short link. It's not at a bad co-link. It's at com.us, C-O-M-M.us forward slash comedy. And this will also be in the show notes at for this episode, which are badco.in forward slash three fifty two, and um, you know it was it was it was fun to do it. Uh, I definitely need work. I may do it again. I don't know, but uh, Andrea encouraged me to, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I might. Well, you know what? We kind of do crypto comedy every week, right? So it's like right. That's what that's what. And then we went to Bali. They wanted me to do 15 minutes of comedy around crypto. And I think I ended up doing about, what, 20, 20 minutes yeah. or something like that down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like maybe that for, for different events, like we should you know, get up and do some comedy crypto commentary and crack jokes. It's kind of like when we do our show, but like not interview people, but just us talking and cracking jokes, which is nice. Right. Well, there's a big difference, as you know, between just having spontaneous conversation and coming up with witty jokes as you go and planning you know, a routine oh, is a totally different deal. Oh yeah. I, I have notebooks full of like potential jokes. I think like my funniest jokes that I've said, like in conversation, I just, you know, I, they just drift away and you forget them. So that's why I, if I have a funny thing that I think that was good, I, I will put it on Evernote and store all my jokes on Evernote. That way I don't ever have to track it down. I know where it is. And then I have all my jokes since 2010 in Evernote. So it's like, I could, if somebody wanted me to come and do a, comedy set somewhere i could literally go back and look at previous ones look at my you know give me give me a little bit of time to practice and i'll go up and i could knock out probably a good 20 30 minutes so you actually just you know what you said put a song in my mind Uh oh what song was that it's going to be added to the bad crypto list but as you're talking i was just writing this parody it's like give me the jokes boy and write them down gonna get on stage and be a clown and drift away Okay, there you go. Nice. Okay. Hey, this is as good as I get. Nobody's paying me to do this. So, right on. Stick with you. Should stick to karaoke. Maybe I don't know her though. (laughs) Some woman named Carrie from Oklahoma. Her name is Karaoke. That's yeah. And with that, folks, stay back. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.